This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast for practical shepherding. And I'm joined once again in studio with Jim Sebastio. Uh, Jim's good to have you. Thanks for uh, jumping in always with me on these things. Very happy to be able to do it, Brian. Glad to be here. So we want to, we appreciate the feedback we get from different people in regard to this podcast and just the ministry in general. And somebody wrote us and asked us to talk about bivocational pastoral ministry, which is a, a really important topic. Um, there's a lot of bivocational pastors. I would say in the trends that I see, there's going to be more and more bivocational ministry that's going to be cropping up with churches that just cannot support full-time pastors and families and those kinds of things. And so this is a topic we were asked to address and is also something that, you know, hits personally with Jim and I through the years of ministry that we've done in, in different ways and different creative ways we've had to, yeah, to work. Yeah, we both to, experienced it. That's we, right. We've both been there. In different ways. So um, that's what we want to tackle today. And Jim, I'm gonna first ask you. Would, let's let's just defi- let's define first what bivocational pastoral ministry is for somebody listening and think there may be some confusion around that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'd want to make a, a distinction between what we might sometimes refer to as lay elders, who are elders in the church and who do help with pastoral ministry, who are real pastors versus a man whose job it is to be, let's say, a primary preaching pastor. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a man who uh, has of necessity to be engaged in secular employment in order to feed and shelter his family, but at the same time has a regular commitment uh, to teaching, preaching, and shepherding a congregation and so he's doing two jobs he's by bi- vocational the church may or may not supplement his income so okay. sometimes we may be talking about in some cases a man who works in a secular job 20 hours a week it may be he works 40 50 60 hours a week right and yet he's still striving to regularly be in the pulpit teaching preaching and counseling God's people. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Let me, I'll add this, that it's a bivocational pastor is typically the man that is trying to do the work that a lot of men get to do full time as their regular job. Correct. And they're trying to do it while having to work another job on top of it. And the reason that needs to be highlighted is because we all know that the work of the ministry, I mean, the, the the cliched phrase is, you know, I, I'm a pastor full-time and I get paid part-time. Mm. Because anybody who really is doing pastoral ministry, trying to do it well and faithfully, the needs are endless. It doesn't matter how large or small your church is. And so when I talk to a lot of guys who are doing bivocational ministry, they that's the biggest burden they feel is that they see all this ministry that needs to be done uh, that could easily be a full-time, their full-time could be given to it, and they right. just can't. The church can't support them to where they have to go work another job. That's the that's the bivocational pastor we're talking about today, right? So, Jim, where do we? Where does a bivocational pastor? How does he find contentment? I, I, there's some bivocational pastors who want to be, but there are many who want who would rather do this work of the ministry full time, and they either just don't have a ministry position that allows that. Uh, or they can't find that, 
and they have to work another job. And there are just tensions there in regard to time and, and energy. How does a bivocational pastor find contentment in that particular work when he's in that situation? That's a good question, Brian. I think, obviously, ultimately, you have to rest in the sovereignty of God, that God has ordained these days of your life for however long they may be, and to try to be sweet under that providence. Uh, the days of our life are written in his book before there's one of them. God, God knew full well that we would enter into this uh, time and period uh, of our lives. I think a man in that position needs to be able to labor before his people and in his own conscience and before God with a, a sense of what are his legitimate abilities and priorities and uh, the constraints of time upon him. He is not going to be held accountable before God to, to have labored for 60 hours a week when he's only been given 20. God, God is mm-hmm. not Pharaoh telling them to make bricks without straw. Mm-hmm. And so they, they cannot condemn themselves before God. They, you, they have to recognize their Father in heaven has ordained these days, that he's pleased with their labors, and, and that God himself certainly understands the pressures put upon them and the limitations put upon them. But his people need to understand that too because they're going to most likely want him to labor as though he's full-time. They're going to want him to be available to them and to preach the kinds of sermons he could preach if he had 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 hours a week Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have. And so he might need to patiently instruct them or maybe uh, he could even encourage a friend to come and uh, preach and that's uh, a good idea and, that's uh, a good and idea. to remind the congregation that that's a hardship that that their pastor is undergoing and then in his own conscience he he cannot condemn himself and beat himself up and and uh, and think to himself of course he can think to himself I could do so much better if I had the time, but this is the time I have. How, and then we can talk about this. How do I allot that time? Yeah. How do I structure the time I do have to be able uh, to minister as effectively as I'm able, yeah. given these constraints? Yeah, and what you just articulated, I get to work with a lot of bivocational pastors, and I am. it is consistent. The, the One of the main burdens, if not the main one, they constantly wrestle through is this self-condemnation yeah. that they're not doing what they're like they're not doing a good job they're not being faithful because they look around at all that needs to be done and they just don't have the time to do it the church doesn't have the money to hire the other staff to do it and they don't know what to do with that they don't know how to resolve those things how does how does a past how does a bivocational pastor because i know if there's any listening they've wrestled with this or continue to how do they work through that to where that the greatest burden they carry is not this constant sense of failure and self-condemnation they put on themselves. Right. I, I think you have to you have to know yourself, you have to know you have to know your limitations and you have to know what are your God-given duties and responsibilities. So it is your job if you're a pastor to preach the word. And it is your job, it is your duty to accurately exegete that word to the best 
of your uh, ability. But that might mean that you you are for a time not going to be able to do two or three ministries uh, on a Sunday. You might have to realistically say, uh, what I can do is uh, one one ministry uh, on the Lord's Day. I can preach in the morning. I'm not going to be able, uh, with given my responsibilities, to also teach the adult class. And so, you know, maybe for the next 30 weeks, you're going to go through a, a DVD series like uh, R.C. Sproul's Dust to Glory or or uh, behold your god or, or something like that you're going to utilize other things so that the people are fed or you're utilizing other gifts in the church uh to help uh and to do those things but that you you cannot be responsible for full-time work in a half-time life you just can't do that and, and you have to say lord that's the ideal it's what i'm striving for it's what everybody wants, but providentially, I'm hindered right now from doing that. I have a responsibility not to burn out. I have a responsibility to be, if you're married, a husband. If you're a father, husband and father. I have a responsibility to my employer. Uh, and I also have a responsibility for these sheep, but that has to be handled realistically and conscientiously within our parameters. So what I hear you saying is the uh, we have to embrace our humanity. And I think what a lot of guys put this expectation on themselves or that they allow others to put it on them to do more than they are humanly possible to do. And I think I found a key with, with finding contentment in this wrestling is to just acknowledge your own limitations. Um, what you're saying sounds sounds good and right, but I think anybody in that situation, how do you get to the point where where you're actually okay with those limitations? I think it has to be embracing that and realize, like you said, God is only he expects of us what he knows we are capable of doing. Right, and we have to be realistic to know what that really is and to be okay with what is left undone, or like you said, or or. You have to use a video series to, to help with some of the teaching ministry. Or other men in the church. Or other men in the church. You're gonna have, or, or other brothers coming in, I, I think can be, or all things we could touch on, I think can be uh, important. You, you, you can't isolate yourself, and again, you, you, you can't condemn yourself over things that are not your responsibility. I think part of that, Brian, is that you have to have a well-instructed congregation that needs to be up to speed on what you do and and how long it takes you to do it and what your labors are so that they have a a realistic expectation, a righteous expectation. They ought to, if you're their pastor, they ought to have a righteous expectation that you're able to feed them from the Word of God. That's not an unrealistic or unrighteous expectation. It might be an unrealistic and unrighteous expectation to expect you to do three separate ministries yep. on a Sunday, like that pastor does, uh, you know, in that other church. Right. Because a lot of guys don't do that anymore. But uh, that's something I did f- for years. I did. I taught an adult Sunday school class, preached in the morning, and preached a different message mm-hmm. uh, in the in the evening, and people. Ex- expected that and that's what you did but uh, that's a that's a whole different thing to do when you're having to work out in the world anywhere from 20 to 30 
in some cases, 40, 50 hours a, a week, uh, yeah. and then still do the other things you're required to do. And that's to, to be a husband, be a dad, be a citizen, or whatever else it may be. And you're going to have to tell the people, you're not excusing, excusing sloppy exegesis and heresy that you're teaching or mm-hmm. horrible preaching. But they need to understand that the what it takes to craft uh, a sound, homiletically sound and exegetically precise sermon week in and week out requires some time, and that that's all that you're able to do with that leading prayer meeting maybe uh, and doing some counseling on the week. And, and, and they need to understand that. They need to be sympathetic toward that. Yeah. I want to... I want to pause for a moment and just say something to some bivocational pastors. Maybe they've never heard before, so I just want to say it. So often, I think, I believe God is pleased with your ministry, even when you're not. I think that's the case even for a lot of us who put high expectations on ourselves and feel the pressure that others do. And sometimes the Lord's people are pleased when we're not. I mean, how, how often have you felt like you laid an exegetical or homiletical egg uh, and you're sulking your your head's down as you yeah. get back to the door and somebody says that was extremely helpful this morning and, and you yeah. thought you stunk up the place that's right so I, that happens too so. i just want you, you brothers you're listening to this and in this position you know to allow yourself to have faith that, that that's true that your ministry though it is a serious work is covered with God's grace, and He is for you in your work. Right. And I think, and I believe, He is pleased with your work so often when you are not. And to to consider that even as we continue this conversation, so we want to get into maybe how to balance everything: work, family, ministry. Before we do that, though, Jim, you and I, like you and I, have been in different positions through the years where uh, that have somewhat reflected a bivocational ministry at times. Right. And it's kind of gone back and forth, at least for me. So let's let's both share about a little bit of our experience. If you go first, just share what are some of the experiences you had to let these guys know that you, you do know what this is like to have to deal with. Sure. And, and now in my life, it it was a relatively short duration of, of about a year. And and I was young. So uh, I was strong and, and vigorous and could do anything slim you could do anything. all that good stuff you know so i could uh I, I could go out and do it yeah you almost felt you could do that uh so when i came to the work here it was a church plant we took in nine thousand dollars a year as a congregation that, that was so our you know far as income goes and paying for a rented facility and uh, hymnals and we had recording equipment and all of that. Um, I was not able to, you know, feed my family on two or three thousand dollars. Were they even able to pay you after? I'm trying to well, do the they, math in my head after hearing all that. Uh, other churches helped out, so okay. there, but there was some income from the church. But then also, uh, I worked five nights a week, uh, and uh, <laughs> being one of those guys that went the Bible college and seminary route. Uh, It wasn't like I was a chemical engineer and uh, so I could work at Dow during the day and and pull in $70,000 and then do, you know. So I was Jim the janitor. So I worked for a company called Master Clean and I I cleaned various buildings around the city uh, 
10 at night till 2 or 3 in the morning hmm. and would come home and uh, go to sleep and get up in the morning and, and hit it in regard to the study and then uh, I would spend however many hours in the study or meeting with people and then spend some time with my wife and then I would get ready to, to head off to work hmm. um, at night. And so that's what I did for uh, about a year, first first year that I was here. Hmm. I, I had tried uh, to do other things, uh, including a, a brief stint as a, a world book encyclopedia salesman. No I way. I didn't not, know that part. I was not cut out. That's hard for to believe. That. That's hard uh, to believe. Yeah, I was not cut out for door-to-door <laughs> sales. And so having something that uh, I could do and you know, God help and God bless and I I was able to bear witness at work and uh and the Lord blessed my my efforts and labors uh in, in the company and they were pleased with the work that I did. But then we eventually got to the point where the Lord brought a couple of very generous men into the church uh, who had um, a good jobs or, or a group of men into the church that had good jobs and who were generous. And so we got to the point where it was very realistic for the mm-hmm. church to be able to support me full time. Yeah. Yeah, that's and you've you definitely experienced that in those early years then what a lot of these guys are you know what it's like to to have to do all that and try to juggle all that at the same time right and, and the hard thing is you sometimes feel like you're not doing anything well you know you don't feel like you're good you're you, yep. that you're able to be uh, the kind of husband you'd want to be kind of pastor you'd want to be and then even sometimes you know feeling some of the distractions of work because you know you're there doing the work you're doing, but feeling like you should be elsewhere yeah. or wanted to be elsewhere. And yeah. so to find contentment and to strive for excellence in the, in the, in the work you're doing, even if it's the work of cleaning toilets and waxing floors and vacuuming and, and, and all of the rest, hmm. do that for the glory of God, do the best you can hmm. and trust God will help you to do that and do it well. well my situation was that the, and some of the listeners may know my story at the church in the early years, but you know I was hired at a salary. It was a it was a dead dying church with uh, just a few members left, and but they they hired me at a salary they couldn't pay me for longer than about six months, which I didn't learn until I actually got there and got into it and was already established and had moved and everything. Questions every, you don't think about asking? No, no, I, I made a bigger list to help guys in the future on what questions right. to ask. Uh, and it, the thing is, I I think there's also a need to recognize there's, I saw the financial records. There's just some things you just totally don't know about the life and the patterns of a church till you get there. And so I was faced early on with not only a tough church situation, but a church situation that couldn't couldn't support me uh, long term in the situation we were in if it didn't change. So I immediately started to to look for extra work to be able to take on, and I. I did uh, I did side work um, for I, I did I taught guitar and piano lessons uh, I I used to I taught martial arts and and had some opportunities to do some more of that so my uh, kids used to think you were really cool I when know. I would tell them that they and, said is he the is he the kung fu pastor and the the karate piano playing guitar pastor <laughs> they they thought that was 
That was, was me. Far better than what I did, dude. Well, you know, and I know you're. We we tried to get your daughter's lessons at some point, and it just it, it never worked out. Just didn't work out. I don't think she bitter. later became a kickboxer. Well, there you go. It, with me, I did that with her too. That's so. true. Another Spe- recreation. Speaking topic. of recreational topics, <laughs> um, so I I ended up have my goal was. Uh, Hoping this wouldn't last forever, but realizing I had an immediate situation that I needed to try to care for my family. And so I tried to pick jobs that I could make the most money doing with the fewest hours I would have to do them. So let me ask you this, Brian, because this ties into that. At what point do you think to yourself, what is legitimately what I need as a pastor? Because some people might say that $10,000 a year we give you ought to be plenty for you, boy. You know, I mean, in my day, I would have thought I was rich if I had that much money. Yeah. And and do you say to yourself, well, given my family, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of pastors are not well compensated. You know, the old, the old yeah. line, uh, God will keep them humble and we'll keep them poor mm-hmm. is sadly a line that some churches live by still live by and so to try to understand when when paul makes the statement those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel well we don't think to ourselves he's talking joel osteen living or mm. benny hinn living or you know whoever else well we don't think it means millions of dollars yeah uh, but at what point do we say uh, that if the church would pay me this much uh, i could labor full-time what, what what kind of factors go into that do you think uh I- I think well, I tell you what. I think this actually could be uh, another a topic one day for a for a podcast for a future conversation okay. for as far as you know, like Pastoral just sa- salaries and conversation things. But but I would say that um, in there's I see two effects happening in, in young guys going to pastor now. One is those churches that continually think their job is to keep them poor and God will keep them humble, and they don't take care of their pastors even if they can. Right. Then there's another side of and I have to acknowledge this. There's a young seminarian coming out in his mid-20s who has been handed a lot to him throughout his whole life. And he thinks he should graduate from seminary and make a really good income at his first church and right. almost demands it when he's interviewing with places, which is also not realistic either. There is a, there right. is a working yourself into a position where you uh, are going to be cared for well in a sense. Exactly. So. Yeah. If, if I had gone in demanding... The kind of I've been here twenty seven years. Or you didn't plant the church if they wouldn't have paid you thirty grand from the beginning. Right. You wouldn't have planted the church. I mean, that's, right. So I wouldn't be here. No, I was willing. I came into this willing to work as much as I needed to work uh, in order to see this this uh, thrive or or get established and for as long as I had I had no idea if or how God would bless the work here. Now, if, if that had happened for five years, 10 years, I'm not sure how I would have um, handled that. I think we all believed, and the church believed, and I believe that, you know, th- there's this double-edged side of this that if I could labor full-time that the church might be able to grow, and that if the church grew, I'd be able to labor full-time. Right. You know, that, yeah. uh, that my pastoral availability to people, the ability to to have a ministry that that fed folks that people would hear about that or they they might come and and hear it and and think I want to be I want to be under that kind of ministry that that would help the the congregation to grow yeah. but you kind of needed to do that <laughs> how could you do both you can, you can't do both at, at the same time so you needed 
the the folks to come in somehow without using full-time ministry as a means of growing the church right and so i think both need to be acknowledged that there that some churches do not do a good job at caring for their pastors and others though there is if you're a bivocational pastor because you're 25 and in your first church that's not a bad thing. There is an element of paying dues as you serve in the yeah. ministry. Or, or if you're 45 and you're pastoring a, a smaller church, there, there's no indignity to pastoring a small church. That's right. In That's fact, right. what are the stats, Brian? What, it, it, aren't the stat? don't stats show out that most pastors pastor small churches? The, the normative-sized church is under 100. Right. So most pastors pastor a church of under 100. And so I, I think it, yeah, th- that is a that is a noble work. Unfortunately, for those who want to do it in a full time capacity, that's why I think bivocational ministry is going to be growing so much more, because these churches need pastors, but many of them don't don't have the means, even if they wanted to, to support a pastor. Right. Most fully. churches, then we would say, or would would probably have a hard time. So let's say there's a hundred people there. Uh, how many of those are are folks that are not employed in the in in the secular sense, uh, they may be youth, it may be mothers, grandmothers, uh, folks on fixed income, Social Security, and, and that sort of thing. And when you get down to it, I mean, generally speaking, I think what we, I think what we think about in terms of full-time labor is that if you have ten men in the church who tithe, then you could make essentially a median income based upon those 10, yeah. right? I've, right. I've, I don't know if you've heard that stat, I think that that yeah. is somewhat of realistic recognition well, of that. Well, um, it also depends. I mean, it just depends on the church situation. So I, even in, in our church, so let me, uh, I mentioned the early years and eventually the church re, you financially was able to grow to where they were able to bring me on in a more full-time capacity and a stable one. But these something interesting has happened in our church in the last you know five or six years, and that's, as, as we have sent people out into the ministry um, through the years and to the mission field, uh, God has replaced them in different ways. But our church has not grown numerically at a fast rate to where our finances have grown with it. Our, our church, we have generous people, but we don't have rich people in the area we are. So right. our finances continue to be a challenge to support me full-time even 14 years into my pastor and you also pastor a church where there are where a number of your younger families uh, have seminary attachment right so they're they right. are they're, they're poor students no rich <coughs> no rich people in my church and that and that's okay that's okay I, I think I'm in a unique position now where I, I'm it's it's strange because I in a sense I'm doing full-time ministry but I am doing bivocational ministry with my local church because practical about five, six years ago, the church, because of finances, had to, to cut a pretty significant amount of my salary. We had no choice. I even pushed for the cut because of where we're financially. And I was looking to go just get another job. And practical shepherding in God's providence launched in that way, in, in that moment, in that time period and brought me on. That became my second job. So I'm able to do ministry full-time, but I am in the situation of having to try to balance local church pastoring and another job with that. So why don't we turn there for the last bit, Jim? How does a bivocational pastor know how to balance the work of the ministry, his job, his family, and to have something left for every place as he divides that up? Do you have any advice for that? 
Well, again, I think you need to have a, a well-informed and biblically informed conscience. Brian, all of us need to live with a sense of one day we're going to stand before the chief shepherd and we're going to give an account for our ministry and for our lives and for our various stewardships. You're going to give account of your, of your stewardship. And so as pastors, we live with the pressure and the reality that one day we're going to give an account for the souls entrusted to us. So, so how do I do that? Uh, we may add to this the reality that we, we all should be in a situation or laboring toward a situation where there's a plurality of elders, where we're not the only shepherd right. in the congregation. Right. One shepherd in a congregation is a biblical anomaly. So there should be at least one other person. There are elders in the church, not one elder, uh, that, that, that's able to help uh, in that role so that all the sheep entrusted to us get proper care. Now, that might mean sometimes you know, emergency battlefield care. It's, it's, it's not the care of being able to say, I can spend 15, 20 hours with you this week that in some emergency cases you might need to, but you, you have to put food on the table. You got to be able to pay your rent. You've got to be able to do those other things. So you have that stewardship. You have a stewardship of providing for your family. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. So what does that look like? Well, mm. it doesn't mean I have to provide a five bedroom, you know, gated house with a swimming pool in the back. Um, but it, it, it does mean that, you know, they're going to need some shelter and sustenance. And uh, for the first years uh, of, of marriage or, or even in the latter years, because you're, you're taking a, a church that has uh, limited income, it, it's going to mean, you know, generic uh, f- food boxes and, um, you know, frozen pizza instead of, you know, getting it delivered or, you know, whatever the case might be. But you do, you are required to provide for them. Uh, you are required uh, to dwell with your wife in an understanding way. You're required by God to spend time with your, your children, to fathers, re- raise them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. And then, you know, as a pastor, you're required to preach the word. So, mm-hmm. And then to give to your employer his due, right? To, to yep. labor diligently with our hands, with um, looking to the Lord, not with eye service on demand. So that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure on our plate. And then you're going to need some time to, to, you know, you need a day off, hopefully in the midst of that, or you need a time to be able to be refreshed. And maybe you need some, uh, a legitimate diversion in the midst of all of that. And how in the world can I possibly fulfill all of those stewardships? And get it and get a day off or time to rest. Yeah, and exactly. I, and, I hear that from guys so often in this position yeah. that they look at me and just like, how in the world do I, I mean, I don't want to even do this, let alone get a day off somewhere. So uh, to to speak, just to try to be realistic about this, to recognize, yeah, you got a lot of irons in the fire you're trying to juggle, and yet it may not be a whole day off, but you have to have something that is a break in the action that has to be carved out right, somehow. Right, because you're not going to help anybody if you're destroyed in the midst of it. Right. And Brian, I think, I think one thing just to touch on here that's important uh, for men who – in understanding their limitations and in wanting to give their best to their congregation. They, they do need to understand their limitations. And that might mean something like uh, one day 
uh, a month or one Lord's Day a month or one Lord's Day every five or six weeks that somebody is brought in that, that will volunteer to teach and preach. So mm-hmm. there's a, a friend of mine, a, a pastor I'm getting to know. Uh, I found out that he's, he's bivocational and the, the, the work is growing, um, but it helps him that once every few weeks, somebody from RBC Louisville makes their way there and they do and, and give him a one time a break so that he can hear the word, so that he can be ministered to, which That's is very great. important. Uh, but also uh, so that he doesn't have to spend those extra hours that week in preparation and he can use those hours with some legitimate, uh, with a clear conscience, bit of recreation, take his wife out, spend some Mm -hmm. time with the kids because he knows I don't need to run to the study uh, this week because somebody's going to come and help out. And I would also say, would encourage if that's going to be the case, that hopefully it's a church that's helping where the folks are able to be generous and say, I don't expect any honorarium. Save that 100 bucks or 200 bucks and give it to your pastor, not to me. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think if you're a pastor listening to this, you're not bivocational, uh, but you know bivocational pastors around you and you have a wealth of resources or even just several men who can preach. Yeah, you got 15 seminary guys all wanting for an opportunity and say, hey, once a month you're going to go there. Yeah, if you're listening to this, that would be a wonderful ministry to a bivocational pastor. You can count on the fact you know a bivocational pastor. He's probably eager to have a a, a good, faithful man to be able to fill in for him at different times. And and even though like we're we're a smaller church, but we have a deep bench of men who are being raised up for the ministry and can preach. And so we... We do that, even though we're smaller. We're, we got guys in our church who are filling pulpits in churches bigger than ours, but they're guys that don't have a lot in their church who can preach. So giving giving your, some of your folks a way to, to preach for bivocation or pastors can be a great ministry for them. So I appreciate you you mentioned that, Jim. And uh, We're going to wrap our time up, but if you uh, are a bivocational pastor and, you know, one of, and it's an incredibly lonely place to be often, uh, let me encourage you to reach out to other pastors around you. Uh, you need friendships. You need to be around guys, especially guys that specifically know what it's like to be you. If you to find uh, three or four of the bivocational pastors around you who know what it's like to be bivocational and the struggles that come with that, I think you will find some deep friendship and camaraderie with those with those men. And I would just encourage you to to reach out to them when you get a chance and write us if we can help you in any way try to find some of those guys around you we will do what we can to to help you do that so jim will you uh we pray for these these men who are laboring in this this noble work trying to juggle everything that god get them grace through that thanks our father in heaven thank you for uh the men who have given their time to to listen and we pray father that what they have heard might be a means of help to them and and perhaps even for some to their congregations or to their families as they consider these great burdens uh, upon them. And Father, for some, they long for the day when they will be able to be, uh, give themselves fully to these labors and pray that you might prosper their ministries and uh, extend the generosity of the people in the congregation to make such a thing possible. But Lord, we pray that before that happens, and if that never happens, that they will know a supply of your grace and a help in working through the issues upon their conscience to, to aid them to live before you 
in a right sense, comfortably and boldly uh, as they face these things. We ask your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, One final reminder that if you want to listen to other podcasts that we've done or other resources that we have, you can go to practicalshepherding.com and can uh, find those resources. Uh, There's also a contact page there. It's the best way to write us. If there's any way we can serve you, please uh, do that for us. We would love to help you in any way we can.